it works better with a speaker on. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the uh, extraordinary meeting we're holding tonight. Uh, first thing I would ask people to do is to check their mobile phones are switched off and also to remind you of the fire drill, which is, as there's no, there's no uh, rehearsal or anything expected, if the fire bell goes off, you go straight down the stairs and out, of the, out into the yard. Before we begin the formal business, I propose to hold a minute's silence in, in memory of two former councillors who've passed away. Keith Mackman represented Great Dunmo South Ward from May 2011 until May 2015, initially as a Conservative and more latterly as a founder member and leader of the new residence for Uttlesford Group. So I'd like to call upon Councillor Lodge to say a few words, if he will regarding Keith Mackman. Thank you, Mr Chairman. That, this, this is a surprise to me, but uh, it's uh, of no consequence that it's a surprise in that uh, I'm very, very welcome to, uh, uh, to say those few words. Um, as, as you said, he started as a, as a, as a member of the, of the Conservative Party and joined, and joined our group as, as, our, as our leader. Um, he, was, he was particularly noted for his energy in the uh, in the planning arena as a member of the of the planning committee um, he, he he tackled every um, every single application with with tremendous enthusiasm and, and honesty and, and, and would only be swayed by, by, by the real facts of, of the individual planning case and in fact so much so um, that uh, on some applications which, uh, which he was responsible in turning down. He, he defended them personally and in fact put some of his own money into, into making those defences. So he was probably one of the most honest and public spirited councillors that I've come across in my very, very short career. Um, it was sad that, um, uh, that it, he, uh, he didn't join us in, in this particular council uh, and uh, we certainly missed, missed his input and uh, certainly his input would have been very valuable still in the, uh, in the planning issues that we're looking at at the moment. Um, I think that um, the comments that, that, that we got from his family was that uh, the manner of the, his death was, was one in which he would have wanted to go. He, he was pursuing uh, one of his favourite activities, which was diving, and um, he, uh, his death was, was very sudden as we lived through, uh, through a heart attack, and he, he went in a way that he would have wished. So, um, certainly on this side of the house, I think all around the house, we had tremendous admiration for the man and, and we are very sad uh, that he has left us prematurely. Thank you, Councillor Lodge. Um, Ron Dean represented Saffron Ward and Shire Ward from 1991 to 2003 and served as Chairman of the Council from the year two, 1999 to, uh, that can't be right, 2000, I think it was. Is it right? Yeah, that is right. Um, I will now call upon Councillor Chambers to say a few words, please. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Uh, Mr Chairman, it's my privilege to say a few words about Ron Dean. I was privileged to be leader of this council when Ron Dean was a member, as you heard, for 12 years. Ron Dean was a very quiet gentleman. 
but he was very persuasive. He didn't get flustered. He put his viewpoints forward very straightforwardly. And if he spoke, people would listen. <coughs> now, excuse me. <coughs> now, Ron Dean was also a very courageous person. <coughs> During the war, he joined up and was one of the desert rats. Unfortunately, he was captured by the Germans, but managed to escape three times from being imprisoned. Now, he was a real family man. He loved his family, uh, and he also loved tennis as well. There are a few people in here. I know there's a gentleman behind me who had quite a lot to do with the tennis club who knew Rondine quite well. And he was very active up until the last few days. Now, Ron Dean, when he was on this council, he was also on the town council as well. It mustn't be forgotten that he was on the town council and he was actually town mayor as well. He was an extremely good chairman of this council and carried out his duties with the utmost diplomacy. He will be sadly missed, but he was, in his own right, a poet. Now, if with your permission, I have just a, a very short poem to read that he wrote. And it's called Blue Diamond. Full sixty years ago today, you stood close by my side. And as we both confirmed our love, I looked on you with pride. We both made solemn vows that day that death alone would part. And after many golden years, that was the case, sweetheart. And most of those that saw us wed when we were in our prime from off the stage have long since fled. Such is the march of time. The Cornish village where we met that sunny summer's day is much the same as it was when your pa gave you away. Its old grey granite country church stands firm against the blast that every fury hurls at it for only stone will last. We will remember him, Jim.
Thank you. Before the meeting starts, uh, a period of 15 minutes is usually set aside for public statements and questions. Since we have an unusually high number of people who have registered to speak at this meeting, I've decided to use my discretion and to extend the public speaking period to one hour. The list of speakers has already been circulated. The time limit of three minutes per speaker will be applied strictly. And I do urge everyone to be as concise as possible in order to allow everyone registered to speak and to be allowed to do so. The three minutes allowed includes the time needed for any questions to be asked. Questions have already been submitted in time for the deadline and will be answered at the meeting. After each speaker has completed their statement, I will invite Councillor Susan Barker to respond to any questions posed. As long as due notice has been given. It is possible that some answers may be grouped together for convenience, otherwise written answers may be supplied after the meeting. The questioner has an opportunity to ask a supplementary question on the understanding that this arises directly out of the original question to, to the re, or, or the reply. There will be no discussion on any of the statements of questions other than the replies given by uh, Susan Barker. So I will start first off with Mr. William Brown. Councillor Davis and uh, councillors of Uttlesford, uh, thank you for giving the neighbouring parishes of South Cambridgeshire the opportunity to have a voice in tonight's discussion. Although I'm the chair of Hinkson Parish Council, I'm authorised to say that I speak on behalf of Ickleton, Duxford, Whittlesford, all our uh, chairs of parish councils meet together on a regular basis um, with Great Chesterford to discuss matters of joint concern. No issue has arisen that's of greater concern to us than the possibility of a major settlement to the north of Great Chesterford on the boundary with South Cambridge. The reasons for this are clear from documents on the Uttlesford District Council's excellent website. Very simply, it would impose major strains on infrastructure that would have to be borne by South Cambridgeshire, particularly with regard to water disposal and sewage. Secondly, there would be a serious increase of the flood risk as a result of runoff from the settlement, which would face the villages downstream, which already have a severe flood risk. Thirdly, as the... Um, District Council um, website says the settlement would be on a high point, the highest point around, and would in effect be an eyesore to a great swathe of South Cambridgeshire. There would be a worsening of the traffic problems. The traffic to the settlement would either have to come south, presumably down the high street of uh, Saffron Walden, or it would head north as the only way of getting to the junction, the number 10 junction on the M11 and going north to, to, to Cambridge and to railway stations. But I think the thing that really puzzles us is who would 
such a settlement benefit, given the size and growth of the Cambridge area, it would overwhelmingly be, and the house and house prices in that area, it would overwhelmingly be uh, people to the north would buy these houses. So the questions, the two questions I would like the district council to take into account when they're considering this issue, is first. How would Uttlesford District Council propose to bear the costs and mitigate the damage that would be caused to the, by the proposed settlement to the villages of South Cambridgeshire immediately over the district boundary? And my second question is, what evidence does Uttlesford District Council have that such a settlement would not primarily meet the housing needs of Cambridgeshire rather than those of Uttlesford District? Thank you. Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, in answer to the first question, the cost of any infrastructure associated with any development will be borne by the developer, not by the District Council. Um, that is the first point. In the case of a strategic site, these would have to be met through a delivery vehicle or through planning applications such as Section 106 or potentially SIL. A viability assessment would be carried out to check the deliverability of any proposals. In response to the second question, um, the location is well situated in relation to Cambridge and the South Cambridge Science Cluster. However, South Cambridgeshire has not asked Uttlesford to help meet its objectively assessed housing need as it is planning to that the proposals meet their own needs. A local plan allocation for any new settlement in Great Chesterford or elsewhere would count towards Uttlesford's own objectively assessed housing needs but it would need to form part of a portfolio of sites that collectively represented the most appropriate of all reasonable alternatives. Thank you, Chairman. I have no supplementary question. Thank you. In that case, I will now ask Jackie Cheatham to come forward, please. Thank you for letting me speak on behalf of Takeley Parish Council. The headlines from the proposed new local plan indicate that yet again housing development is focused in the south of the district, including two new settlements. We are being told that the development in the north of the district is constrained by the influence of South Cam's District Council. What does this mean? The evolving South Cam's local plan, examination is in progress now, shows no major development proposals near the boundary with Uttlesford. There is no published objection from South Cam's about development constraints in the north of Uttlesford, nor could any be justified. In addition, given the all too well-known problems at Junction 8 of the M11 in the south and the available capacity at Junction 9, will the Council please explain what evidence is available to demonstrate that proposed allocations in the south of the district are sustainable while the north of the district is not? Takeley is still absorbing the substantial development allocated in the 2005 local plan. Takeley Little Canfield provided almost 20% of its total. Now, in this new plan, it appears that further development is to be allocated in the Takeley area, 
possibly 500 extra houses or more than 10% of the extra new housing. How can this be justified when Takeley is well down the settlement hierarchy with few local services, education, employment, etc., and poor transportation links? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Barker? Thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, I know Takeley has taken a lot of housing. I visited Takeley last week and actually they met some lovely people just moved into their new housing. They come from Elsenham, they come from Stebbing, they come from Chompsford, they come from Bishop Stortford, and they are delighted to be moving into Takeley. But in answer to your questions, um, no decision has yet been made about the appropriate distribution of housing. This is what this plan is all about and, and the progress we're making. South Cambridgeshire District Council has expressed potential concerns. They cannot make objections to something that is not yet a firm plan, but they have expressed potential concerns about the impact of a new settlement at Great Chesterford and has challenged Uttlesford District Council to assemble evidence of these impacts and how they might be mitigated if it were minded to propose such a development. The respective impacts on the strategic road network and in particular junction capacity are material to the choice of the most appropriate of the reasonable alternatives but additional scenarios are still being modelled and assessed. Takeley is a key village in the A120 <coughs> corridor, close to Stansted Airport, and therefore in an important strategic location. Land to the north of the village, though, contributes to the objectives of the Countryside Protection Zone, which have previously been supported and have actually been presented to the Planning Policy Working Group and supported there and at Cabinet. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, uh, Councillor Barker. I'm allowed a supplementary. You are. I'm a, just to point out that the, the uh, application that I'm talking about is also the north side because the, the, you are bringing back the, the um, countryside protection zone all along to the Flitchway. This is just after it, so it is in the same area. So I hope you will consider that when you look at everything. Thank you. We will. Right. Thank you, former Councillor Cheatham. Uh, Ken MacDonald from Stansted. Uh, Stansted Mount Fitted, actually. Um, good evening. My name is Ken MacDonald. I've lived in Uttlesford for 35 years. I'd like to make it clear that I have no loyalty to any political party. I only wish to see Uttlesford develop a sound plan that passes inspection and does not destroy the character of our district. My comments relate to the plan as a whole. I hope you are all aware that Uttersford's local plan is founded on the Strategic Housing Market Assessment, the SHMAR. For more than a year, I have been trying to draw attention to a number of significant deficiencies in the SHMAR, and also arguing that it has led to Uttersford planning to build far more houses than it needs, perhaps 4,000 too many. The current draft plan seeks an increase in housing stock of 38%, more than a third, 38% over just 22 years. That's far more than almost everywhere else in the country. I've been unable to follow how key conclusions in the Schmar have been arrived at, most notably the number of houses needed in Uttlesford. I'm a chartered accountant, familiar with analysing figures. Now, if I can't follow the calculations, I suspect most reasonable people, including planning inspectors, will also not be able to. The Schmar's lack of audit trail, as it's called, echoes a fundamental reason for the failure of the 2014 plan, and I'm sure none of us want to see another failure. <coughs> the 
Sadly, the Council has failed to answer my criticisms of the Schmar, responding instead with reference to figures emanating from the failed 2014 plan. In 2014, the same fundamental forecasting mistake was made, basing future need on an atypical base period, the period of exceptional airport-related house building. The Council's blind faith Excuse me. The Council's blind faith in the 2014 forecasts and failure to, criticize, to critically appraise the evidence that's being offered in support of this plan is a recipe for either another failed plan or, even worse, a thorough trashing of, of Attlesford. I was given hope by the recent announcement that independent consultants have been asked to review progress, something I've been seeking for many months. I hope these new consultants will be asked to consider the weaknesses that have been identified in the Schmar, which is the basis, the unsound basis, for the new plan. Also, I hope the consultants will consider the case for a lower house-building target, based on lower-term trends, longer-term trends, and not just the exceptional period of airport-related house-building. I hope they will be asked if a lower target, based on longer-term trends, might stand a reasonable chance of acceptance at the examination in public. I've been told that the new consultants have not been asked to review the Schmar, but I hope you, as a council, will ensure that they do. Thank you. Councillor Barker? It wasn't a question, was it? No. Okay, well, thanks very much indeed. The next person to speak is Richard Gilliard uh, of Saffron Warden. Mr Chairman, members of the Council, the local plan is supposed to be a plan for the future well-being and prosperity of our district. It should cover employment, transport, housing and the environment we all depend on. Air quality is a key factor in planning for a healthy future. As recently as September, a cross-party group of MPs called the national air pollution problem a public health emergency. At the beginning of this month, the government's plan for tackling the UK's air pollution crisis was judged as illegally poor in the High Court. It is clear that not enough is being done. And yet, here we are again with a plan to build hundreds of new houses on the wrong side of Saffron Walden, with no workable proposals to deal with all the traffic, even though pollution levels are already rising again. The latest available highways assessment from 2014 predicted an average increase of 350% in peak queues at key junctions, even with all the proposed mitigation measures in place, and that's before all the extra houses now, adding, now included in the plan. The Council's own Air Quality Action Plan 2016 says, the growth of Saffron Walden and surrounding areas will lead to increased traffic using local roads, and improvements in emission quality of new vehicles may be insufficient to mitigate against increases in the levels of harmful pollutants emitted by the overall traffic fleet. In other words, there is no real plan to tackle the traffic queues or the air quality problems which will worsen as a result of this unsustainable development plan. Nobody knows when or even if the air quality management area designation will ever be lifted from our town. The Council should be meeting its legal obligation to consider the cumulative effect of development on air quality, but it also has an ethical responsibility to protect the health and well-being of all residents. Will UDC now take their responsibility seriously and commit to control development so that pollution levels are brought within legal limits both now and for the foreseeable future? 
Thank you. Chairman, um, just a couple of things. There wasn't a specific... I wasn't told I was going to be asked a question on this one. Um, two things. There are no houses in the plan in Saffron Walden. We do not have a plan until our draft plan goes to the inspector, is approved by the inspector, and comes back and is ratified by this council. Until that point, there is no plan. On air pollution, there are a couple of exceedances to the limits in Saffron Walden. We are putting measures in place. We are introducing parking restrictions. We are working with the county council to look at junction improvements. We have done some very minor ones. There is a, are more that are planned by the county council because we do acknowledge that we have a duty to get the, the air quality within Saffron Walden down within the, the limits. There are 22 or 28 points in our air quality action plan. Um, the council or the cabinet has asked that uh, we have a, a detailed work plan that sits below that high-level action plan, and that will be coming back to cabinet for consideration shortly. May I have a supplementary question, please? Yes. Go ahead. Um, I would like to know what evidence there is that parking restrictions have any effect on air quality. Essex County Council asked specifically that parking restrictions were introduced along Peaslands, Mount Pleasant and Borough Lane in order to keep the traffic moving. Heavy vehicles do not use this route because heavy vehicles are deterred by cars parking in a chicane manner along this road. They therefore drive through the town centre. That is what the parking restrictions are supposed to assist to help them use the preferred route to avoid the town centre of Saffron Walden and so reduce levels. Thank you. Uh, I now call upon Neil Gregory if he's here. Oh. Uh, that would be Moira Tallerman. You can speak on his behalf. Thank you. The opportunity to speak at this meeting. I'm Myra Turlemain and I'm speaking at the request and on behalf of Great Chesterford Parish Council. We've studied the requisition for this extraordinary council meeting and the notice of motion. Accordingly, we have the following observations. We welcome the focus of this meeting in seeking clarity as to process and as to the timetable of the local plan. We further welcome the request for specification of the potential spatial strategies and the evidence base that illuminates those spatial strategies, in particular the state of the evidence base when the local plan was paused last month. We welcome clarity as to the discussions and interactions with neighbouring authorities, notably South Cambridgeshire, in fulfilment of the duty to cooperate. We note that members of this council received briefings on the proposed strategy on 11th October and 17th October. We note that the press were also briefed. Sadly, this same courtesy has not been extended to residents or to parish and town councils. Indeed, our request for sight of the evidence base and the briefings made to members of this council and to the press has been refused by officers who inter alia have asserted the need for what they term a safe space to develop the plan. We regard it as essential to have a robust understanding of the evidence base at the date the plan was paused. Our concern, which we must make clear, is that the motion before you is explicit. 
it seeks to substitute revised assumptions, presumptions and starting points in order to influence the outcome of the process. We question the relevance of a number of points in the draft motion before you and suggest it may be an abusive process with the intention of influencing what must be an objective and evidence-led plan. Thus, the purpose of the local plan is to meet the housing needs and employment land needs of the district, that and that alone. It is not to assist with the housing needs of the Cambridge region or to aid or augment the Cambridge phenomenon. That is a matter for South Cams, Cambridge City and National Government. We are informed that South Cams would not welcome a major development on their southern boundary and by definition our northern boundary. We understand too that the A1301A505 junction is frequently gridlocked as is Junction 10 of the M11. Extra traffic is unsustainable as Cambridgeshire County Council have made clear even if development on our northern boundary were welcomed by our neighbours, the transport infrastructure does not exist to support it. Uh, are you going to be much longer? No, nope, I'm rushing to an end. We feel it incumbent upon us to remind members of this council that unless neighbouring authorities request our assistance, then the local plan must restrict itself to our district. The motion before you is fundamentally flawed, and to pass it would, we suggest, increase delay add to cost and make the local plan more susceptible to challenge at public examination. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next one is Nick Bohanko-Smith. Good evening. Um, thank you for allowing me this opportunity to speak. Uh, my name is Nick Behenko-Smith and as some councillors may actually know, I represent CIRCLE, um, the residence group opposed to the West of Braintree new settlement. Um, whilst I could list many valid reasons why the West of Braintree is not a sustainable location, I'd like to take this opportunity to draw the council's attention to what we believe are key points specifically related to the wider region that would contribute to the success of Uttlesford local plan and prosperity. Um, we are pleased that um, UDC's strategy for the local plan has been paused to review evidence, especially after the press releases about the decision having been made to locate both settlements in the south of the district. It is within this review period we believe the questions that councillors should be asking is where does Uttlesford want to be by 2033 and beyond? And how could the long-term strategy of the region's economic growth and UDC's housing distribution strategy help achieve this goal? Um, the obvious economic growth areas where Uttlesford could play a major role are first, the government-backed strategy for the growth along the M11 corridor, which is supported by LSCC and the Cambridge Peterborough Leth, in which Uttlesford are key partners. And secondly, the growth of employment opportunities in the global biotech and biomedical industries called the Southern Cluster in North Uttlesford and South Cambridgeshire, a growth we also add that is supported by a sustainable transport strategy to accommodate this growth. Um, this can be compared to the economic growth along the A120, A120 being promoted by Haven Gateway, who state on their own website 
The SME sector, i.e. businesses employing less than 250 staff, form the vast majority of businesses in the Haven Gateway area. Along with economic growth, one of the key tenets of a housing distribution strategy is deliverability. Always a major concern for councils. In the recently withdrawn new settlement strategy, the council would have expected its housing numbers to be fulfilled by a concentration of all the major development within a seven-mile corridor of the A120. The potential outcome, the council creates a scenario in which developers are faced with building and then trying to sell houses in that concentrated corridor. This would have compounded the M11 Junction 8 issue also. Not only a concern for residents, but also one of a major UDC employer, as was expressed in their response to the consultation issued by Braintree <coughs> District Council. We also understand that the, this issue contributed to the failure of the last local plan. Um, we all appreciate this question of deliver, deliverability is crucial as it could impact Uttlesford's duty to continuously deliver a five-minute housing supply into the future. Um, there is some more information I would like to give and I will post it. I do apologise for not doing that. But at the moment, um, I've only touched upon two risks. We have many more which have identified, but we hope at this moment that the council will actually take time to reflect on what the long-term future of the, uh, the district should be. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bahen Kersbeth. Uh Paul Stewart-Turner from Saffron Walden. Good evening. Uh, I just want to clarify um, that contrary to earlier paperwork, I'm not representing anyone and I'm not speaking on anyone's behalf. I'm simply a concerned resident of Saffron Walden, just in case anybody had the earlier paperwork. I'm aware that county councils across the uh, country are under pressure from Westminster to increase housing stock, but has it been made clear to national government that Saffron Walden is an exceptional case because the Audley End Estate blocks development to the west of the town and the key transport links, the main road, the motorway, the railway, also the secondary school, are on this side of the town. Any development on the east of the town therefore creates severe congestion, especially in the morning and in the evening rush hours. Thank you. Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, yes, Saffron Walden is unique. It's a lovely place, um, but it is also our largest town. Um, in any scenario envisaged by members during the development of this plan, um, we have always considered that there may be the need to put some housing in Saffron Walden. Um, as a local planning authority, we are charged with preparing local plans and determining best how to deliver the growth drawing on local knowledge of the communities and fulfilling a place-shaping role. Saffron Walden does have particular issues with congestion, but not so much more so than other market towns. Um, I, as an Essex County Councillor, travel a lot around Essex. Um, Saffron Walden compared to, to Rayleigh, it, it is minor. You wouldn't believe it. Um, but it, it's... You know, we have to plan, we have to take all these things into consideration and come up with the plan that we think is best for our district. Um, if my councillor, Councillor Redfern, could speak, she would tell you that the vast majority of people on her housing waiting list want to live in Saffron Walden. And, you know, we have a duty of care to our residents. 
Um, I don't have a supplementary uh, question, but but in in answer to that, um, if you've been in Saffron Walden in the evening after a train has arrived from London, let's say a Friday evening between 6 and 6.30, I think it would be very hard to say that we don't have a problem with congestion. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we now move on to Alexander Armstrong from Great Dumbo. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Chairman, fellow councillors. Uh, my name is Alexander Armstrong. I'm not a comedian, but some people think I am funny. Uh, I am an R4U town councillor from Great Dunmo in the south of the district. In 2014, UDC and most of this present collection of councillors presided over a local plan which relied on the bulk of the housing to be dumped on the south of the district. This was thrown out by the government inspector and wasted £2 million of Uttersford residents' taxes. The south of the district is now once again centre stage, with a proposed development to the west of Braintree, bringing 1,800 homes. Another garden village at Eastern Park, with between 10,000 and 17,000 homes. A garden city development called North Essex Garden Communities, involving Braintree, Colchester, Tendering and Essex County Councils. To further pressurise our services and infrastructure, there's a new quarry to come in the village of Rain, with a proposed approximately 300,000 tonnes of sand and gravel to be processed annually. Now all of this using the already overcrowded A120 and Junction 8 of the M11. Well, good luck with that. It is nearly 2017 and my question is, why, despite having being two years behind the schedule and with the risk of government intervention very high, why is UDC still pursuing the same failed criteria to decide where the settlement should go as they did in 2014? Thank you. Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Again, I, I wasn't aware I was being asked a question, but nice to see you, Mr Armstrong. Thank you. Um, 2014, um, I have no recollections of any major development at west of Braintree or um, west of Dunmo either. Um, the plan was much more focused on the Elsenham area. Um, the Elsenham area has taken amount of housing since that time. Um, and Elsenham, indeed, land there has been put forward as a potential major settlement. We may be only focusing on three here tonight, but that is because the ones that the officers have advised us are more sustainable. Um, so, yes, it may be the south of the district, because as far as sustainability is concerned, those are the areas which are deemed to be more sustainable. Um, I am the county councillor for Great Dunmo. I, it, it doesn't fill my heart to be building more houses in the A120, to potentially be building a settlement only a few hundred yards away from what already has planning permission in Great Dunmo, but we have a responsibility as a council to deliver a local plan. If we do not do it, the government will step in. I will come on later when I speak to the, the actual um, agenda about the reasons why we have paused the plan. So I'll answer your questions there. Just a supplementary question. Yes. Uh, why has it taken two years to have this call for sites? Why are we in this state now? I mean, we were in this depression after the first local plan failed. Uh, and now here we are back 
trying to look again. It seems to have taken an awful long time to have got to this pausing of the plan. I I think that um, the the plan was withdrawn in January 2015. Um, As you know, May 2015, there were elections. We have a new council here. Um, The officers put together a a timeline, a local development scheme, and the call for sites was indeed some time ago. It takes a long time when you are presented with 390 sites to assimilate that information and feed it back to a councillors in a uh, in a format that they can understand so that they can make informed decisions. Thank you, Mr Armstrong. Uh, the next speaker is Anthony Gerard from Newport. Mr Chairman, good evening. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for allowing me to ask this question, even though it was submitted a little bit late. Um, Saffron Walden County High School and Helena Romana School are effectively full, and there is no likelihood of them expanding. Joyce Franklin is planned to take an extra year group, but will then not expand further. Despite this, Essex County Council Education predicts a net deficit of 130 secondary school places in Saffron Walden within three years. If UDC's currently proposed spatial strategy is implemented, where will the additional children go to secondary school? How has this been factored into the spatial strategy? And where is UDC's education strategy for the next 15 years to support our local plan? Thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, I apologise. I did realise this question was coming rather late. Um, as an Essex County Councillor, Essex County Councillor is responsible for providing school places. Essex County Council has a wonderful document called Commissioning School Places 2015 to 2020. Um, this covers the whole of Essex. You will see that in there it is fully aware of how many places are available in Uttlesford. Um, not, all the right pla- not all school places in Uttlesford are in the right places. There are enough places, but they're not necessarily where they want to be. I'm acutely aware that villages around Saffron Walden cannot get their children into Saffron Walden County High School. and They have to be bused to Newport or to Dunmo. Um, there is a lot of detail about children who come into the district and go out of the district for both primary or more secondary education. We have great inflows from um, Braintree, for example, into Helena Romanas and Helena Romanas up to the Saffron Walden catchment. There is a plan. It's a very complicated plan. Um, the senior members here and the county councillors, including Councillor Lodge, who's in the room, uh, were talked at, through and discussed with officers at Essex um, at a recent locality board meeting, the issues around school provision. Um, on the whole, we are all right. We are going to have to provide a small bit of extra capacity in primary school education in Saffron Walden in the near future. And officers at the county council are in discussion with schools about that. Um, similarly, we have a pressure issue in Takeley, where although we have reopened the Roseacres Primary School, there is still going to be pressure on supply there. Many developments in Uttlesford, such as Smith's Farm in Dunmo, have provision for a junior school. Any further development on Woodland Park will have provision for a junior school. And any new settlement, yes, we will have to have a new senior school. Um, there are potentially plans to move and or expand Helena Romana's school in Dunmo. But these things are factored in and they will be factored in if a new settlement is the way forward. Thank you. Uh, next uh, speaker is Chris Audrit uh, on behalf of Little Eastern Parish Council.
Good evening, my name is Chris Aldred and I'm Chairman of Little Eastern Parish Council. Following the failure of the previous local plan in December 14, UDC were at pains that the work, to say that the workings of this new local plan would be open and transparent. Indeed, one of the first documents produced was a joint statement by the council group leaders saying, and I quote, we support recent work to establish a fresh approach to preparing a new local plan based on step-by-step -step deliberative and transparent ways of working. And also, we will do everything we can to set out clearly the justification for what it contains and the process followed in reaching the decisions taken. It's an indication of how far from meeting that commitment UDCR that one of the signatories to that same document felt it necessary to put forward the motion before you this evening. In effect saying there has been lack of transparency and there is no confidence in the process. The single settlement option at Eastern Park directly affects the residents of Little Eastern and indeed the very existence of Little Eastern and yet there has been no direct consultation with Little Eastern Parish Council on the prospect of this new town on Eastern Park. In fact the press and the media seem more well informed than we are. The Eastern Park settlement has been a developer-led proposal, we believe based on inaccurate and misleading information. UDC have been at pains to stress that any new settlement would be to garden village principles, one of which specifically says the garden village must be a new discrete settlement and not, not an extension of an existing town or village. Yet at its closest point, in fact Councillor Barker made reference, the Eastern Park settlement would be just a hundred yards or so away from the large town of Great Dunmo. The lack of consultation and transparency by UDC has led to serious concern among residents and parish councils, as was shown at the recent parish forum in this offices, that decisions are being taken regardless of the facts and without full and detailed consideration of all the options. Any new settlement site chosen should be the best available site, taking all factors into account, which meets the defined garden village principles and is in the best interest of the community, not because it is an easy option and in the best interest of the developer. We support the statement to be made later by Councillor Foley and agree that UDC cannot make any recommendation without there being a full and thorough study of the new garden settlement proposal located to the north of the district at Great Chesterford. UDC need to learn from past mistakes and produce a local plan that is both robust, fully supported by the council and most important by the community. Thank you. Thank you. I now call upon Louise Luke from Great Chesterford. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak this evening. I'm really doing this on the on in the, my, my statement beforehand is talking about the need within the community for sustainable low cost housing and also environmental issues but my specific question is what steps are being taken to consider the environmental impact on the South Cambridgeshire Essex border of a new town 
on a new settlement which, which could approach the size of Saffron Walden in terms of improved sewage, water, improved transport facilities, in terms of the, the buses, road capacity, the M11 junction and the rail capacity with station, with station car park and also cycle routes. I'm very concerned about that particular issue in that area. Thank you. Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Chairman, as with any development, this would be assessed through the water cycle study, the transport assessment, the sustainability assessment, and the strategic environmental assessment work. Um, some of these things are, are what lead to one site being considered above others or below others. That, you know, each of these things is assessed by, by our officers, um, and the sustainability assessment scores these against a matrix and, and you know, looks as objectively as possible about how all these issues impact on um, you know, other local settlements, local people. Um, the officers have done a lot of work. A lot of work has been commissioned. The councillors have seen the results of a lot of that work. At the end of the day, we have to make a decision and we have to have a local plan. May I have a supplementary, please? Um, in terms of the officers having seen the evidence, is that evidence going to be public, made publicly available? I would imagine that sustainability appraisals are available on the website. Um, they were certainly presented to the last um, workshop that we had here. Thank you. Um, we'll now have Elfrida Tealby-Watson. Good evening. Thank you for letting me speak. Um, Alfreda Tilby Watson has asked me to uh, ask the questions on her behalf. I also feel I'm doing my bit for the silent majority of Great Chesterford. The first set of questions were answered more, more to do with the, the meeting itself than they've been answered. So I'm going to start with point two. Referencing comments regarding the need of many residents to travel outside Oxford for their employment, bullet one in brackets and then bullet three, the expected growth of expanding high technology industries around Cambridge. And this, uh, there's a series of four questions. What steps will be taken beyond any statutory need to cooperate between authorities to establish potential developments, commercial or residential, outside Oxford boundaries that are under discussion but not yet in planning? but which for the sake of best practice, future-proofing evidence should be considered with regard to sustainability issues of traffic, water management and demographics. Uh, B, with reference to the comments regarding the M11 corridor and high-tech industries, specifically what efforts are being made to establish the impact of developments under discussion, for instance, regarding Sanger and Smithson's building proposals in the South Cambridgeshire on the north of Uttersford? C. What effort is now being made to publicise these possible South Cambridgeshire developments in the context of proposal for the Chesterford site so that full and transparent evidence of any pincer development can be examined? D. What steps will be taken to gain demographic predictions or existing evidence of work destinations for Uttlesford residents across the district to support such statements regarding the increasing need tendency of residents to work outside the district? There's one further question. Uh, generally for proposing sites across the district, what account is being made of the need of the supporting infrastructure for new large development, scale developments? She gives an example 
A recent example of difficulty encountered in such infrastructure planning has been education. Noted publicly last year the unbalanced demand for school balance places throughout Usselsford with oversubscription and undersubscription in different catchments, again with problems for parishes in the north of the district, which were widely publicised. Thank you. Councillor Barker? Chairman, thank you. Um, in response to the, the first bit, you've really answered your own question. You used the word potential, under discussion and possible. Conventionally, only local plan proposals and committed development are taken into account. We can't plan on a, on a what-if basis. Proposals for major development by the Wellcome Trust and others in South Cambridgeshire would be accompanied by their own strategic, environmental and other assessments as part of any consideration through the development management process. So what we're saying is, they're not there, they're not in Cambridge's plan, we can't take them into consideration because they may never happen. Um, on the, the, the second point, um, as I say, I've mentioned on education, the education and any other necessary infrastructure to support development will be identified, and the planning system has ensured adequate school capacity in Uttleford to support the delivery of growth. What I would add, and nobody has mentioned this evening, uh, there hasn't been much mention of infrastructure. We, Essex County Council and Uttleford, working together, will ensure that we have education facilities for all our children, what we cannot do quite so easily is provide the health facilities that we all feel we so much need. Health, GPs are a private business. How many times I have to say this to people? GPs will go into business if they want to go into business and if they think the opportunity is there and is viable. We will, as this council, do the best we can to liaise with the NHS to get them, Councillor Rolf works with the NHS, to get them to deliver what we need for the people here. But this country is woefully short of GPs. And, you know, many GPs are retiring because of the stress and whatever. But we do appreciate that people are very concerned about the health provision. And we will do our best to work with the NHS to see what we can achieve. Thank you. And I must congratulate Stansdall on getting their surgery open. Thank you. Um, we now have Richard Westbrook from Ashton. Good evening. I'm speaking as a concerned resident, but I am somebody who's lived in this area for nearly 30 years now, and I have driven professionally for two-thirds of that time in the local area. So I am aware of the traffic problems and <laughs> infrastructure roads are probably the thing that I start by looking at and never get beyond that because we've been sort of asked to cope with what development we've had in the last 20 years with nothing happening on our immediately local roads. We've now got proposed further development of a substantial number of houses and I do not hear any plans for improving the roads. I don't think a lot of people would have any objection to further development on the east side of uh, Saffron Walden if something was done to get people in and out of Saffron Walden without having to go through the town centre. I've recently, I mean this week, I heard on the news, I think it was yesterday or this morning, they're talking about development between Oxford and Cambridge and that becoming a Silicon Valley going sort of through Bedford, Milton Keynes. This sort of thing, how much consideration is taken to national planning 
because this sort of would put a lot more pressure on the north of Battlesford because Cambridge is going to be a, an area of opportunity. And we don't really want people living in the west on the east side of Saffron Walden having to commute through the town to go and work in Cambridge. It makes sense to have some development in the north of Uttlesford. Also, we also hear this week of Carver Barracks being closed. Now, I don't know whether that is going to be used for housing, but it is a big area and could take a lot of houses. If that happens, we really need to put in a decent link with the M11. Now, if that happens, if that's planned, that could have an impact on our town plan because if you were to put a road into Carver Barracks, why not run it in and improve the road on the Faxted Road out to Elder Street? And that could relieve a lot of pressure in a southern direction for development on the east side of Saffron Walden. It still would be a problem for people going north, but these are the sort of things. I also was interested in the point that Paul Stuart Turner made about to what degree the housing demands in Uttlesford are driven by targets set nationally and how much they're driven by demand from local people. Because particularly with Walden, we don't, until they improve the roads, why should we be providing a lot of houses for people who are going to commute from London? It's crazy. Okay for people who want houses locally, but anybody who wants to commute, then those developments should be put somewhere where there's a link to infrastructure. That's the point I would like to make. Thank you. I thank think you. Councillor Barker will answer that. Um, yes, thank you very much. Roads are, are very important. Um, just three, well, four little things on roads, I suppose. The A120 in the south of the district was built to be able to accommodate a third lane. Um, if you look at the bridges, they're extra wide. That's why they're extra wide, because they can potentially take a third lane. Um, recently, Essex County Council has received £5 million from central government and has matched that with another £5 million to look at a feasibility study of, of the extension of the A120, where it uh, disappears off at Galley's Corner to link up with Harwich. Um, the possible proposals in Saffron Walden would create a link road which links Thaxted Road to Radwinter Road if development were to go ahead on the east side of the town to keep more traffic out of the town centre. And, and finally, Carver Barracks. Um, this plan period runs to 2033. This is the period we're planning for. Carver Barracks, yes, if that was put up for housing um, when it goes for sale in 2031-32, that's proposed closure dates. If one was planning a major number of houses there, then potentially, yes, you would have the opportunity to link across to the M11. But roads such as that and access onto the M11, which the government is very unkeen on new accesses onto motorways, would be something for a future plan, not for this one. Insofar as this uh, business of linking infrastructure, yes, I understand Carver Barracks is, is going to be a long time away, but it's, making, it's planning forward for things like this that I think are important, and it would be worth making the effort to get some link into the south of Saffron Walden if it's deemed to be a chance that this is going to happen. I mean, you talk about the fact that there's enough school places in the district at the moment, but thank you, uh, having to move people around thank you, Clive, I think is adding to the further problem we have yeah, in I the think, rush hours. I think you've had your time, but thank you very much indeed for your input. Uh, we now come on to... Um, 
Michael Culkin of the Thaxter Society. I'll come back to Clive Hopwell later. <coughs> Thank you, Chairman. Good evening, Councillors. <coughs> there is uh, an unhappy growing trend today <coughs> driven by technological empowerment and unsound political promises that we can all get what we want. And Uttlesford is no exception in this. Well, we can't. If we all did get what we wanted, we would not live in a democracy, but in some sort of chaos. When it comes to what we want, clearly some of us get it, and some of us don't. But let's be clear about one thing. The people who get what they want aren't always the same people. The planning system, hoist as it is by government, to promote a housing solution nationally is imperfect and not truly fit for that purpose. However, governments of whatever hue persist in this. And so we are left with houses where we do not want them, and some people with houses that they do want, with no houses that they do want. But this interpretation of process does not obviate its use. And like it or not, as flawed as the planning system is, we are, all of us, stuck with it. Without a local plan acceptable to the inspector and government, we are all in a far worse position than with one some of us do not like. Without a current plan, this special corner, much envied and in demand, simply falls prey to speculative and predatory development. We've seen this in Thaxted, and the town has suffered in the absence of an up-to-date local plan. In the end, councillors argue where and not why. And in the where, it is clear that some will be unhappy. But when it comes to the greater good for all of us, we are unfortunately better off with a local plan and some pain than no plan at all. Let central government mistake planning deliver <coughs> for delivery of the impossible. Let us not follow the example and use the local plan as a political football. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, finally, we have Clive Hopwell uh, to speak.
Hi, um, I'm Neil Green, actually, from Great Chesterford, and I'll be asking Clive's questions um, this evening. Thank you for letting me speak. Um, I believe there's a great importance in keeping a green belt between Cambridge and Saffron Walden. We now have ribbon development from Sawston to Cambridge, so to develop south of Sawston, as proposed in the North Uttersford um, site, we would, have, we would risk developing an urban sprawl to the boundaries of Saffron Walden itself. This comment is in response to several mentions in the motion of workers travelling to or employment developments in South Cambridgeshire at the M11 border. Surely it's imperative that if we are trying to account for this, we are in transparency discussions with those authorities to establish what is also being proposed for Cambridgeshire, Hertfordshire and Suffolk to address those needs. Um, second question, uh, with reference to the motion commenting on the need for establishing the criteria on which sites are considered best for local plan developments, can Council clarify whether that process takes into account unbuilt developments which already have planning approval? And finally, question three, similarly, and in order to have a local plan that develops Uttlesford in a sustainable and balanced way across the district, appropriate to existing and historic built and rural environment, and in anticipation of future factors, what evidence is being considered with regard to how many houses have been built and approved per capita inhabitant, ward by ward or parish by parish, in the last five years? This would give an indication of the saturation levels per community to date, comparing, for example, village to town environments. Thank you. Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, regarding the first issue of a green belt between Cambridge and Saffron Walden, um, yes, I couldn't agree more. And the, the place that that discussion needs to take place is in the duty to cooperate meetings that we hold um, between councils. Regarding, um, don't we take into account uh, um, places with planning permission? We'd be in a sorry state if we didn't. Um, the figure we're looking at over the plan period is 12,500. The plan has already allocated and built of those around 8,000 during the period from 2011. So two to 3,000 have been built. The rest have planning permission. So it is the residual 4,500 to 5,000 that we are now looking to allocate. To give you an idea, in Dumbo, there are 2,855 houses with planning permission unbuilt in Great Dumbo, others in Elsinore and other towns around. Um, so very much we do take into account that. We also take into account a windfall allowance of around 50, which are divisions of houses, divisions of small plots. And that is all accepted by the by the, off, by the uh, planning inspector as acceptable practice. So yes, it's the residual 4,500 that don't have planning permission or haven't been built that we're now looking to allocate. Although the plan will, when it goes out, include all the sites because we need to have the, the whole picture. Um, and on your final point, any policy which sought to cap development in settlements based on percentage growth over the last five years would be arbitrary and it would be totally subject to challenge. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank everybody who's taken part in this question and answer session. It's quite a major download that we've, we've taken. Um, I'd also, I think, a round of applause for Councillor Barker for handling all those questions. Uh, but I suggest a five-minute break. 
before we continue. And any members of the public who wish to remain may do so. Those who wish to leave can feel free to leave. Thank you. Please hold. Your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold. Your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Now, thank you.
Welcome back everybody. Um, before we start on the first item, I'd just like to introduce Simon Pugh, who uh, has taken, he's, he's now our Council's Interim Head of Legal Services. Simon worked for, previously for Cambridge City Council for many years in a similar role, and I welcome him to his first Uttlesford Full Council meeting. Apologies for absence, and so far I have apologies from Councillor Jay Freeman, Knight, Wells and Davis. Are there any other apologies? And Harris. Councillor Harris. Anyone else? Thank you. Um, are there any declarations of interest? I'll start from the left. Could you switch your mic on? Table? Sorry, Seth from Walden Town Council. Thank you. Councillor Aisha and Jim, Seth from Walden Town Council. Councillor Morris. Um, thank you, Chairman. Yes, also a member of Seth from Walden Town Council. Asker. Thank you, Chairman, member of Seth from Walden Town Council. And Freeman. Also a member of Seth from Walden Town Council. Thank you. And <coughs> Councillor Ranger. Member of Barnsden Parish Council. And Councillor Barker. As a member of Essex County Council, Chairman. And Councillor Redfern. Um, I've never known us have to declare our parishes of interest, but member of Great Chesterford Parish Council. Thank you. Chairman, in that case, I'd register as an interest as a member of Newport Parish Council. Ma matter of... <laughs> I think we, we, we really is rather pointless, thank you. Right, we're going straight on to part two, the local plan. I would like to start by explaining briefly how I intend to conduct the business of this meeting. I ask members to show courtesy in the way they approach the discussion in the local plan and to respect the rules of debate. I will allow members to speak more, th more than once during parts one and two of the local plan item, but ask that they do not repeat points already made and are as concise as possible. However, during part three of the debate, after the motion of the, on the agenda has been proposed and seconded, I will apply procedure rules strictly and ask members to comply with my ruling. I will make clear when I intend to move from one part of the meeting to the next and explain briefly each part and how it will be conducted. This extraordinary meeting has been called by the eight councillors listed on the agenda to discuss the business and set out in full on the accompanying paper. The business will be divided into three parts. Questions to Councillor Susan Barker as Cabinet Member for the Environmental Services and responses to those questions. A debate to, de number two, a debate to identify issues with preparation of the local plan resulting in the present pause in the process and to allow members to propose any corrective measures they think the Council should take. And finally, three, consideration of the motion on the agenda. So I would now ask for, I think it's Councillor Freeman to introduce the debate. Where is he? Mr Council Chairman, I will, I will kick that off if I may. Councillor Lodge, you're going to speak. 
Indeed, yes. So this, on, under the heading you have there of a member of the spokesman for the L4U group, so uh, I will speak to that if I may. So thank you for that. And thank you also for calling the meeting at, uh, at short notice and responding to, uh, to the uh, requirements of members and to the uh, members of Democratic Services who, who set this up. I don't propose to speak long now because... Um, it's not about me. I'm, I'm deeply involved in, in the plan process and have asked a lot of uh, these questions. Um, what it is about is for those people who are not intimately involved in the plan. And I think particularly to the, to, to the members of the public, and I'm greatly encouraged that, that you have all turned out in, in such numbers for what is a, a pretty important issue for the district. Um, one of the public speakers made a good point. Um, Almost two years ago, we, we, uh, we started down uh, a shining path, um, I think as he may have, may have said, where, where we were, the, the leaders declared to, to work together on producing an evidence-based plan which, uh, which we would have ap ample opportunity to, uh, uh, to look at the evidence and discuss the issues and come to a cogent answer to whatever the question was. I think we all know what the question was. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't quite worked out that way. Um, first of all, officers have worked tremendously hard in, in, in meeting a, um, a deadline which... which imposed by central government was, was possibly unrealistic. And so as we've gone through the process, uh, we have not been given the information in the timescales that we hoped we would. And here we are probably a week or so after we were planning to make the decision on, on the draft plan, and we're still waiting for quite a significant amount of evidence. Um, as a result of that information maybe coming late, there hasn't really been the opportunity to, to, to have a, a good discussion on the way in which the plan was going to be implemented on the spatial strategy. So where uh, we did actually have one good discussion on, on we were going to go for a new settlement or multiple settlements, but then we, we, we've had no significant time at the planning policy working group to actually have that discussion, nor to discuss how the... Um, extensions were going to be built to towns and villages and the particular spatial strategy around there. So, so the planning policy working group hasn't, hasn't really fulfilled its, its purpose. And in, in recent weeks, uh, what we have been doing is to getting into confusion as to the way of the head, of the, the way ahead. And we now are in a, a remarkably difficult situation where we don't have a plan we don't even have a plan to produce a plan. Um, I was asked by, by, by some of the members of council why, why I was calling this meeting tonight. Well, I think the answer is here again. People want to know what is going on. Hence the reason for this public, uh, public meeting and the public debate. And so we should now go on to, uh, to say to Councillor Barker, we are in a very difficult place. We don't have a plan, we don't have a plan for a plan. What on earth can you tell us? We want to know, the members of the council wants to know, and the public wants to know. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Chairman, as you see on the agenda, this is quite a complicated question that's sort of been asked and that I've been asked to respond to. So I do thank the officers for some guidance on this. Um, 
Chairman, it was becoming clear at the last workshop for members on the local plan on the 12th of October that members had a number of outstanding questions and concerns um, and that officers had not had enough time to explain or follow these up. Those questions and concerns would have been compounded by the need to report on work that officers had commissioned from our Troy Navigus planning to a full council meeting that was in the calendar for the 8th of November. This was a review and an assessment of our readiness for examination. The report we received included recommendations as to how we could strengthen our case to reduce questions at examination and to limit potential modifications. We could have addressed these issues in time for the Council meeting, but they would not have been presented to the Planning Policy Working Group or to Cabinet. Members would understandably have felt uneasy about changes at this late stage. Additionally, routine exchanges with Braintree District Council identify some potential areas for concerns between us which would benefit from some further joint work. Braintree have suggested some wording to be included in the draft local plan, but once again officers concluded that it would benefit from additional exploration. So the major challenge in this process has been the timetable. You will recall that the Council adopted the Local Development Scheme in December 2015 against the threat, as Councillor Lodge has mentioned, of intervention by the Government for those not publishing a plan by March 2017 or early 2017, as was later explained. The timetable was tight, but it was achievable in pure output terms. What was not recognised was the time needed to keep others not working on the proposals every day up to speed. The Chief Executive's judgment decided that pausing was preferable to ploughing on. As it has subsequently turned out, further feedback has supported this decision. I acknowledge also that some members were calling for a delay, but it was necessary to try our very best to get a draft plan out to consultation to fit with the Government's timeline. In the first week in November, officers arranged for an informal advisory limit visit for a principal planning inspector and I attended a meeting with that inspector with Councillor Lachlan and Councillor Lodge. This planning inspector has extensive experience of local plan examinations to review the evidence underpinning the plan and the potential soundness of its emerging proposals. In that same week, officers also arranged a conference with our barrister on the same issues. These meetings resulted in some technical challenges to the adequacy of the proposed scale of housing provision, both within Uttlesford and within the West Essex East Hart strategic housing market area as a whole, and to the proposed distribution within the housing market area, with the focus on growth at Harlow, and also within Uttlesford on its focus on strategic sites. The meetings discussed how the plan might respond to the inter-authority strategies envisaged in the Memorandum of Understanding, taking longer or potentially not materialising as anticipated. It was clear that there would be benefit in giving these issues further consideration. Moving on to the issues and consequences, DCLG has been informed but has not yet committed to a date for a meeting. They will wish to establish whether by them intervening they can move the process on quicker than we can. We are confident that they cannot, particularly in the light of feedback we have received. The pause has been a positive move to reflect and move forward with greater assurance. One potential area of concern is around the new homes bonus. We, start, we are still awaiting the outcome of consultation on the proposed changes to the new homes bonus, which we were promised back in June. One of these was a proposal to withhold all or some of the new homes bonus from local authorities that had not yet produced a plan. The Government's preferred option was that from 2017-18, 
Local authorities who have not yet submitted a plan should not receive new host bonus allocation for the years that that, plan remains, well, that, that situation remains the case. Should this happen in Uttlesford, the potential impact could be in the region of 300,000 in the next financial year. Finally, regarding the local development scheme, we need to adopt a revised local development scheme, the high-level project plan, to reflect the shift in key dates. We don't need to wait for a formal revision of the local, de- local development scheme, however, to continue the work. Indeed, it has some advantages in that a revised local development scheme will give the most up-to-date position, enabling the planning inspector to schedule an examination with confidence. Members should already be clear about the reasonable alternative strategies that have been considered, as these are set out in the Issues and Options Consultation and Council reports. The Council does not currently have a preferred strategy, other than the full Council resolution that would meet its housing needs through a combination of delivery from new settlements, towns, key villages and other villages where development is supported by the community. The pause was put in place to enable further consideration to what should be the preferred strategy. Distribution strategies and new settlement options have been considered for the purpose of a range of assessments including sustainability assessments, strategic environmental assessments and transport assessment work. Further distribution strategies are being assessed for these purposes. Another issue to consider, therefore, is whether any evidence will need to be updated as a consequence of the pause to ensure it remains relevant. Work is underway to assess this, but we don't anticipate any major issues in this regard. Although we will have to consider any issues arising from a new, another new housing white paper, which is expected before the end of the year. Duty to cooperate meetings with and discussions with South Cambridgeshire have focused on respective progress with local plans, on the need for a clear and sequential process for identifying growth choices across the area, and discussion of proposals of cross-border interest, particularly the Welcome Trust proposals for Hingston Hall. South Cam's District Council has said that cross-boundary considerations of modelling of strategic growth would, in its view, be required before a definitive conclusion could be reached on the soundness of any strategic growth options in Uttlesford, close to its northern border with South Cambridgeshire. If Uttlesford, were to choose, sorry, if Uttlesford were to choose a significant growth site around Great Chesterford, South Cambridgeshire District Council will seek to test the process for the choice of site and the evidence to demonstrate its soundness, pointing out that the transport infrastructure in the area is under stress. Cambridgeshire County Council is already modelling and investigating requirements in the A505 and A1307 corridors, but has yet to reach clear, clear conclusions. Complex cross-boundary education movement may also need to be modelled. Duty to cooperate discussions with Braintree have focused on its draft local plan preferred options, in particular the west of Braintree new settlement location, and its potential to be a cross-boundary allocation. Uttlesford and Braintree officers have agreed to do further joint work, including strategic transport assessment modelling, to establish the scope for increasing the supply of homes from west of Braintree. In the event of a cross-border allocation, the councils will need to commit to a joint area action plan for the west of Braintree and a common strategic policy across the area, approach to the area. Arrangements, equalisation arrangements will be essential and need to be agreed as part of the local plan before joint work on an area action plan commences. Uttlesford has also agreed to engage in the development of concept frameworks by consultants engaged in the North Essex authorities and Essex County Council and other work streams. 
Moving forward, a new local development scheme will be underpinned by a detailed project plan, but there are some, detailed, there are some key considerations before we can produce this. We do need timescales for the additional evidence. We do need to review our duty to cooperation. We do need the announcement on the new host bonus consultation. And of course, we need member input through the planning policy working group, through workshops, through scrutiny, through cabinet and the council. And just before I finish, Chairman, I would like to ask Mr Snow to circulate a paper that he's going to scrutiny next week. This outlines the scoping of the Planning Advisory Service Review that has been commissioned by this Council to look at the local, pro local plan process. Councillor Dean is looking at the issue through scrutiny and this just gives some pointers on what we have asked the Planning Advisory Service to look at to help us formulate a sound plan. Chairman, that report plans to um, come back to scrutiny in the new year. That is a public meeting. Members of the public are very welcome to attend. Um, and Chairman, please just be advised that we do continue to plan to prioritise the local plan and to put in place a timely and sound plan for the future. Thank you. I am happy to answer any questions. Uh, well, just let the uh, papers go round so that everybody can have a look at that before they start asking questions. I would ask uh, that the members, um, if they have any suggested corrective measures to the local plan process, keep that for the second part after we've finished uh, the part one. Thank you. <coughs> They've all gone round. I believe Councillor Lodge has got his hand up. Thank you, Mr Chairman. One, one immediate point. Uh, Councillor Barker said that um, it would have been possible to go ahead with the original schedule. That original schedule was for approval by full council Tuesday last week. How on earth could that have been done when we still, for example, don't have a highway strategy for the district? Still don't. Councillor Barker. Um, Councillor Lodge, I think it's been explained. We have paused the process. What might have been, might have been. We do have a draft highway strategy. Um, the, uh, you know, we are where we are. We have had presented to us a draft highway strategy. The Councilor important Lodge. part about Saffron Walden is missing. I will agree. I have still not seen the detailed highways strategy for Saffron Walden. That is a very localised issue. It is, the, it is the strategic highway study that we need to support the local plan. Any other members have questions? Councillor Barry. Thank you, Chairman. Many of the public questions and statements we've heard this evening um, are points that would have been covered had the call for sites consultation not been cancelled. Given the public interest, will the consultation be brought, back to, be brought back to the local plan process when it recommences? We will still be going out to the same consultation that we were planning to go out to. There will be one public consultation. So the one that was cancelled? The three public consultations in the original um, plan for the plan were issues and options, 
Corfu site and the final plan as a whole. The Corfu site's one was cancelled. Was it not? Um, no, it was not. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> no, sorry. we did not have a the consultation. The call for sites is a call for sites. That is not a consultation. The call for there sites is. Running up to the 2014 local plan, we carried out three consultations. It was decided this time we would do two. Thank you. So given, that, given that the missing one was on call for sites, will that be reinstated or will we, are we, is the only consultation we're now going to have on the finished plan? We will be consulting on a draft plan before it goes to the inspector. Once we have considered that draft plan and the comments received back, we may or may not make modifications to the plan before it goes to the inspector. Councillor Foley. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry I didn't get to some of the earlier meetings, as you probably know, due to illness. And so if there has been things that have uh, been explained, I apologise. But I do want to clarify uh, a couple of uh, points. Um, can I ask, is UDC conducting its own study on the impact of Great Dunmore uh, with respect to character, prosperity, transport, employment? Um, if there is no separate study being undertaken, would the, dis would the District Council uh, be in a position to commission a report on that? That's the first question. second question is, will Uttlesford transport assessment show the cost of works needed for Junction 8 and um, of the M11 to cope with the current volume of traffic. The A120, as you know, is already, as it's been said, backing up as far as Great Dunmore peak times and major expansion is already planned um, for Bishop Stortford. What would be the additional cost of the works to prevent gridlock on the M11 uh, uh, from traffic generated by either or both new settlements along the, along the way. That's a, it's a, I know it's a, a question you may have to come back to me on, but uh, I'd like to know if that's... Councillor uh, Rolfe would like to answer the second part, but... Uh, well, I've just got one tiny more. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the parishes in the south of the district are obviously concerned and angry in the way that uh, this... Uh, the, 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 the press were being briefed, it would appear, and then come. And I, and I accept there's been apologies put out about that, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But it, 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 it gave the feeling that, um, that we didn't know if there was going to be a, a how would you put it, a full and thorough study of a, a new gar garden centres beyond the south of the district. The, the impression that we got was that it wasn't necessarily uh, being put forward to take full advantage of transport links, property demand and growth areas in other parts of the district uh, with the science parks as other people. I'm not keen to see big developments in any part of Uttlesford. I think it's a tragedy that, that we all have. But we do want to see fairness. So the question is... Uh, have you already asked a question, or are you asking a question? Yeah, I, I have asked the question. I just wanted to uh, uh, make, make sure you understood 
that the concerns of uh, parishes in the south of the district about the way the whole thing's been handled as well as everything that we've been talking about tonight. Uh, Councillor Rolfe would like to come back on um, the A120 and Junction 8 and he sits on the London Cambridge Stansted Consortium so very up to speed on that. Regarding Dunmo and the impact, um, Dunmo has recently, a couple of weeks ago, actually got its neighbourhood plan through the referendum. Um, we are happy with Dumbo Neighbourhood Plan. We have yet to adopt it at this council, but it's an excellent piece of work. It seeks to preserve what is best in Dunmo um, for future generations. And I think, yes, further development will have an impact in Dunmo. If, if there were to be a new town um, to the west of Dunmo, then certainly as, as that town was growing and maturing, um, some development there would perfectly actually enhance the high street. Um, the first thing that doesn't go into a new development is a bank or a hairdresser's or a post office. Um, in the long term, it would be different whether they'd become their own entities or something different. But Dunmo already has 2,800 more houses that are going to be built um, without any further allocations. But we are very aware, and as I say, I, I have congratulated Dunmo Town Council on the, being the first town or village in, in Uttlesford to, to have a neighbourhood plan in place. Um, regarding the press briefing, yes, this was very unfortunate. I was asked to meet with three newspapers. We prepared a full briefing for them, and it was shortly after that that the chief executives decided to pause the process. The briefings had been embargoed, but unfortunately, even though we contacted all newspapers, um, once the chief executive had decided to pause the process, um, they didn't respect that and therefore some details were published and I apologise for that but that is how they behaved and you know that, that's a difficult one they were contacted by the press office asked not to go public but unfortunately they still did Thank you Chairman and good evening ladies and gentlemen um, I think the uh, first uh, the questions that we took for an hour and a quarter at the beginning of this meeting were uh, e extremely helpful and uh, the dialogue that we were able to have with members of the public which have, had already started in other formats including public uh, uh, displays um, uh, was particularly helpful but what I think it actually demonstrated uh, is the challenge for the plan because I think we had speakers from most parts of Uttlesford and they were broadly saying the same thing, that they didn't want it in their area. Now, this is a perfectly respectful uh, position to take, but I think it, it illustrates the challenge of producing the plan. And can we be crystal clear on this? We have to produce a plan. We know what the numbers are, and they could well be rising. So somewhere this housing is going to go, and somebody is going to be upset about that. The reason that we paused the plan is so that the evidence behind the final decision, if not agreed by everybody, is respected by everybody. Because we will have to make decisions. As far as the uh, A120 and the M11 is concerned, um, Junction 8, uh, we're, we're aware, is under pressure. It was mentioned by the inspector in December 2014. Uh, a scoping study has been financed, including money from the Greater Cambridge, Greater Peterborough LEP, but also from Essex County Council. 
Uh, it is high on the government's agenda in terms of improvement. Uh, at the same time, uh, similar scoping money and feasibility study money for the A120 um, it has, be, it has been put in place and there will be a study, as Councillor Barker has already indicated, to go from Gallis Corner, uh, sometimes known as Cholesterol Corner, um, onto uh, the A12, which incidentally is also being widened so that uh, that flows through because, as has been mentioned, there are two potential further uh, garden developments at that, at that end of uh, the A120. It is a crucial route, the A120, and uh, obviously with a developing study that whole road and the link onto the M8, we're particularly clear that that has to be done. It's, it's, it's in the government's plan and bluntly one half of government has got to talk to the other half of government because if DCLG wants us to produce a plan, um, wherever our housing goes there will be impact on the 120 and the other half of government needs to respect that and do something about it. And that point is being taken up at the very highest, uh, highest levels. So. Um, fully recognised the impact on Junction 8, Councillor Foley, and, and the importance. We're doing a lot of work, a lot of lobbying work uh, around that, working with London Stansted Cambridge Consortium, with local members of Parliament, uh, with Department of Highways, with the two LEPs that are involved, with Essex County Council. So everybody's uh, full, fully engaged on, on that. I hope that answers your question. I have Councillor Dean, uh, followed by Councillor Richard Freeman. Thank you, Chairman. I, th I think I've, I've got a couple of questions which probably could be shared between uh, Councillors Barker and Rolf. And, and this really is about the, the, the procedure and the work that we've got to do moving forward, because we have to move forward. And I'll, I'd like to just say why I'm asking, making these points. I mean, it does seem to me that uh, the, the question of um, Saffron Walden and the east of Saffron Walden and air, air pollution and congestion needs to be bottomed out and, and not just simply take it that that was dealt with in the last plan. In other words, I think the scope for a, a fresh look at that rather than taking, whether the last plan, taking the last plan for granted. And, and then the other main area, I think, are the pros and cons of the uh, other settlements, the, 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 the main the, the new settlements and really I'd like to seek public assurance that uh, we are going to deal with that in a, a thorough way and, and I'll, I'll illustrate why I'm asking that. I mean I think it's fair to say that had the meeting taken place at the beginning of last week um, I would have come along uh, but I wouldn't have been able to vote for anything because I just could have not at this point in time been given one, enough information, and secondly, had the opportunity to scrutinise it and question it and get answers uh, on that to, for me to fairly make up my mind, and I do not, and, and we've always said that this has to be evidence-based, so I, no way am I going to make a decision just on the basis of somebody's <coughs> NIMBY approach or whatever. Or, um, and, and, and I mean, I will illustrate this just with one thing that you know, I've, I've had over the last two months, September and October, we've had some information about the new settlements, um, and, and I'll illustrate my dilemma just with one. We were told that one of the reasons not, for not um, going for a new settlement at Great Chesterford was that the railway train stopping pattern at Great Chesterford, sorry, that, that all trains do not stop at Great Chesterford. Well, I would point out to everybody in this room, of course, that we've been talking about 
Elsenham for many years and the stopping pattern at Great Chesterford is exactly the same at Elsenham and yet that question has never been raised in the past. Now I'm not going to go any further down that line but I mean it, it just shows that we've got to get um, balanced information that, that looks at everything in an equal way and I, I'd, I'd seek assurance that from Councillor, are you getting us anywhere or are you just... I'm sorry? Are you actually reaching a conclusion? Well, my question I've already put, really. I'd, li I'd like assurance that we'll be looking in detail at the new settlement. Secondly, that we'll be looking again at the East of Saffron Walden. And thirdly, that we'll review how the planning policy working group works so that we're all satisfied with it and, and the members of the public can be satisfied that it uh, is functioning as, a, as it's set out to be. Right. Thanks very much indeed. So... Um, there were, I think, probably three key areas of concern to, obviously, uh, members of the public, but to councillors as well. Uh, there was this concern about uh, two new settlements uh, in the south. Uh, there was a concern about uh, why not uh, Chesterford, and there was a concern about Saffron Walden. And a key part of the pause is that all three aspects and much more will be considered in very great detail. But let's make absolute, be crystal clear that either all or a number of those three areas will be taking housing because we have got to accommodate at least 4,600 houses. But we'll only do it when we are very clear about the evidence. And we, we absolutely support your point, Councillor Dean. You want to come to this on an evidence-based uh, response. You may not agree with it all, but if you respect the evidence, that will determine your decision. We fully support that principle, and it underpins the whole plan process. As far as Saffron Walden is concerned, um, there is the possibility of uh, an alternative site, and uh, both officers and our consultants, Troy, will be looking at that to see whether it's realistic. Um, we are waiting, as has been indicated, for the highway study for Saffron Walden. Uh, when that's received, um, uh, we understand that is soon, uh, then we will look at that in conjunction with the Town Council uh, of Saffron Walden. We've made that commitment. The uh, highway study in Saffron Walden will then impact on the air quality study, and we will look at that with the Saffron Walden Town Council. We've also given that commitment. But uh, Councillor Barker has already indicated of our 900 people who cannot find a home in Uttlesford, over 250 of them live in Saffron Walden. We have a moral duty to look after them. Um, as far as um, the pros and cons of other settlements, I, I think we've, we've, we've answered that point. Of course, we need the, the, the clear evidence. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we've got Richard Freeman and then uh, finally uh, Councillor Fairhurst. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Uh, as Chair of the Planning Committee in Saffron Warden Town Council, I look forward to receiving all these good things that are coming down the line. Um, we manage two and sometimes three planning committee meetings every month, which gives you an idea of the load that we're dealing with in that town at the moment. But uh, thank you for that. Um, this is a question about something entirely different, really. It's about employment figures. And I don't think we've really touched upon them this evening. Uh, and essentially, I'll, I'll, I'll be brief, but in a workshop which was under the heading of employment and jobs, uh, we were advised that there were th uh, 9,975 jobs would be created over the planned period. 
and somewhere around 9,000 of those, the lion's share, were ascribed to Stansted Airport. Now, this was used to justify development along the A120, uh, and uh, it was challenged because it appeared to ignore um, the two largest employment centres uh, for Uttersford, which happened to be London and Cambridge. Now, according to a 2011 census, uh, almost 60% of commuters travel outside Uttersford, and obviously to do that, they have to use the transport network. Um, so the question is, it appears that this error has not been corrected uh, in the adjusted plan, or uh, was the workshop one of these things where you tell us what's going to happen, and then we go away and think about it? Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. So you're absolutely right. The Planning Policy Working Group uh, uh, received uh, an employment study as part of the evidence that uh, has already been put together. And I mustn't underestimate the, the amount of evidence that has been compiled. Uh, you're, you're right. Uh, Stansted Airport is the largest employer, 10,000 people, uh, but less than 20% of those live in Uttlesford. Another 20% live in Braintree, quite close, but um, nevertheless, there are more that commute in than, than, than come from Uttlesford. A large proportion of our working population commute out uh, of Uttlesford. Uh, that is also taken into account in the study. But I think um, you know, we should be encouraged uh, on a number of statistics. We have 0.7 of 1% unemployment in Uttlesford. Uh, one, of the, one of the very lowest levels in the country. And I was asked for a comment today by the Hearts Essex about uh, an extra 100 jobs being made available at uh, Stansted Airport with the um, new airline that's uh, just um, jet to. Um, and obviously I, I welcomed that. Um, Stansted is expanding. This council and, and, and residents will have to make a decision in the not too distant future about whether it's going to give permission to the Manchester Airport Group to expand the capacity from 35s to about 43 million passengers per annum. Uh, that will generate uh, more um, um, employment opportunities and again with a very low unemployment base we will be on the one hand sucking in and on the other hand people going out to work. So we have to take that into account in our whole strategy and structure. Um, a further discussion we had with the Manchester Airport Group is uh, there are a couple of, this is an aside, not particularly answering your question, but a couple of initiatives that we're doing with them. Uh, the first is the opportunity for our first tertiary college uh, in Uttlesford, linked to Harlow College, uh, studying particularly engineering, aeronautical engineering and the service industry, uh, which is great. Uh, and that uh, requires funding, but we're optimistic for that funding. And secondly is development of the business park on the north side, where the old terminal used to be, and it has capacity to grow quite considerably, very close to the 120 ideal site. Uh, obviously, we're doing our best with the, um, you know, the business park in Saffron Walden and other areas as well. Uh, we're very conscious that, uh, that, that some businesses begin and grow and then can't move in Uttlesford. And that's disappointing and we need to be able to try and address that. But that, again, is all part of the local plan and the allocation of employment land that we give to it. So I hope that answers your question. Councillor Fairhurst. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, just very briefly, we discussed tonight a lot, number of issues, and we seem to dwell a lot on, on the site of the place. Um, but really, the big issue for me is about the process. Um, yes, I think we all agree here that we need a plan. We need a plan that, that suits us all. Um, but it's been glossed over that there was a. That was a I, I woke up one morning to, to read in the papers that, that a plan had been had been published. We've been. I think. I think uh, Councillor Barker graciously apologised for making for jumping the gun. But the issue is not that. What we've heard today is that we weren't ready then and we aren't ready now. So the question very simply is why did the chief um, senior officer in the planning and the person in charge, the government in charge, jump that gun and speak to the press? There's no legal obligation to do so. Um, there was nothing to publish. We're not ready yet. And, to, and it put a fright a lot of people. I would hate to think that it was done as a calculated um, plan to prejudge or coerce this council into, into making decisions. I'd like to know why it was done in the first place. Thank you. So if I can explain, Councillor Fairhurst, it's normal practice to brief the press on key uh, aspects of council activities, not just local authorities, but other organisations will do likewise. And at the point of briefing them on the Monday morning, there was absolutely no reason to believe that we weren't going to publish the PPWG papers the following Tuesday evening after the Monday or the Cabinet papers. It wasn't until uh, matters arose during Tuesday and, in fact, Wednesday when I came in from leave that it was clear that uh, the, the decision needed to be made at that point. So that was the reason we briefed the press on the Monday morning as part of a normal arrangement to brief the press, to brief the press and there was no reason on Monday morning to do anything other than do that. Thank you. Um, I think the pause is welcomed by a lot of people, but at that point there was no air quality. There were 12 outstanding issues. We weren't at a position where we could even look at sites, so we certainly did jump the gun. There was not a we weren't in a position to make any kind of gesture. Um, I think we did you know, preempt this process a lot. Uh, I have Councillor Morris waiting to make a question, and Councillor Asker to follow. Thank you, Chairman. Um, this is just really building on something that the final public speaker um, brought up, specifically with regards to um, permissions given but not yet built and how they have been taken into account. Um, the draft spatial strategies presented by officers appear to ignore the 4,600 new homes already approved and not yet built and seem to concentrate only on the 4,600 still to be allocated. Um, for example, Great Dunmo, as Councillor Barker has already said, has an extra 2,800 due to be built, and in Saffron Walden we've got an additional 600. Um, where can we see how those existing allocations have been reflected in the evidence base compiled by UDC and the sustainability analysis commissioned by it? Thank you. Chairman, the planning policy working group is a relatively small group, um, but that group and members and anyone who looks on the website will find out exactly where every single housing allocation is across the district council. Um, regarding the new settlements, as I've explained, we are looking at the uh, allocation at this point in time of the residual 4,600. Um, the garden settlement or settlements can, we can only plan within the garden settlement or settlements for what would be delivered within the time period. So the indicative figures out of that 4,600 is that 2,800 houses split evenly or unevenly on one settlement or two settlements 
would be part of that development with the other remaining 1,800 around the district. Um, it is all laid out. I mean, it has been laid out so many times. There are great big schedules of where all the houses are, what the um, windfall allowances and everything else. This has been presented to councillors on planning policy working groups at umpteen occasions, workshops, and Mr Harborough will be delighted to send you a list tomorrow, I'm sure. I think at this point we're ready to move... Oh, sorry, can I do beg your pardon. You're Hargreaves. Thank you, Chairman. Um, got sort of two points I'd like to raise. Um, the first one is with regard to um, selection of transport scenarios. Um, the draft articles for transport study says at paragraph 5.3.1 that UDC provided the consultants with 12 potential development scenarios. Four of these were dismissed because they proposed many more new homes as were needed, and four were immediately dismissed as unrealistic because they assumed no development whatsoever in any of the towns or villages. So in effect, the consultants were asked to look only at four scenarios, which were all essentially the same. 700 to 1,000 new homes in Saffron Warden and Great Dunmo, and the remaining homes largely in a new settlement uh, or Takeley with limited development elsewhere. Could we please have explained to us who gave them those instructions, what was the PPW, or sorry, why was the PPWG not involved, and why there were no other scenarios uh, considered in particular not involving building at least 700 new homes in both Saffron Warden and Great Dunmo? I'll ask Mr Harborough, because that is an officer question, but I think, um, or uh, Mr. Glenday, uh, either of the two in terms of that briefing. Uh, but you'll be aware that there are some areas, for example, Elsenham, uh, where there was clear, a clear audit trail that they would have been inappropriate sites. But I'll ask uh, Mr. Harborough to comment. Yeah, these scenarios were provided to the transport consultants by, by officers. Uh, part of the additional work which is being conducted during the pause is to look at variations on, on those scenarios and additional scenarios so that members have got the comfort of a fuller range of, uh, uh, of scenarios and, and what the respective impacts are of those scenarios for transport assessment purposes. Councillor Hargreaves. Thank you, Chair. Um, as part of the process of getting uh, agreement, uh, at the first plan workshop, members were presented with a range of selection criteria and evidence, and we were asked to consider the optimal sites from, from those, those variables. And this was a, it was a, a thoughtful, business-like meeting. Uh, we had PowerPoints and maps and flip charts and breakout sessions. Um, you know, worked pretty well. Um, a straw poll of all members present uh, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly supported... Uh, two sites uh, with three members against. Uh, straw poll had, had cross-party support. But in the, in the following workshop, the presentation of the findings completely ignored the views of the members and the, the evidence that had previously been presented to us. Um, so my, my question is, um, when we have more workshops, I assume we will have more workshops, can we please have an assurance that... Uh, members will actually be listened to. 
First of all, um, the purpose of a workshop is to enable us to have discussion, not that it's a secret discussion, uh, but that it, it, it is a discussion where members can be free and open, uh, not in front of, not the public, that's not the problem, but the potential developers who are hanging on our every word. I, I was staggered that your group released those figures to the public. It was a total and absolute breach of the confidentiality of the meeting, uh, and indeed unfortunate. It was a, you, you, you answered your own question. It was a straw poll. It wasn't a vote. It wasn't based on a, a range of substantive evidence. So uh, I, I don't think the question is appropriate, really, but thank you. Chairman, could I, could I just add to that? We have said the whole way through that this needs to be an objective plan. Members thinking that they think that settlement is better than another settlement is not good planning. The officers brought back to a future workshop a scored matrix, and that was the basis on which the officers put forward their proposals to the members. Councillor White. Right. Thank you, Chair. I have to say that, firstly, I welcome that the public is here. This is the first time there's been an opportunity for any sort of feedback from residents across Uttlesford. And it's interesting to note that many of the issues that have been raised, there is a question coming and a point being made, many of the issues raised, I would echo. In this particular instance, looking at methodology, we did discuss in the workshop, and it was conceded that methodology was actually flawed. This plan needs to be based upon evidence. I have no confidence that the evidence provided is sufficient in order for anyone to make an informed decision. It seems so often that the evidence is made to fit the decision. That is the wrong way round, in my view. I believe that's all I have to say. Thank you. Could I have Councillor Redfern, please? Well, I'll let Councillor Redfern come in, but I'll just start, if I may. Um, could I ask Councillor Light a question? Have you read the evidence? I have read quite a bit of it, yes. Quite a bit of it. I, 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 I would posture that you haven't read enough, bluntly. Uh, that was not the first time we talked to the public. Uh, we had public exhibitions, and I can I remind An you... An exhibition is not... Uh, no feedback was taken. This is the first opportunity that residents in Uttlesford have had an opportunity to speak because, and for this to be recorded, because the consultation was actually a session of information. When I asked where, where are the means, the paper, anything, notes, post-its, in order to take people's opinions, there was nothing. It was a public exhibition. Both councillors, I attended not them all. Can I, can I finish, Mr Chairman, please? I attended them all. 
officers attended them all. They were listening most carefully to what has been said. I've received five, six hundred emails about the plan, the sort of discussion we've had this evening. We're particularly aware, but as I say, uh, we have at the end of the day got to, we're not going to appease all the people all of the time. But you are missing one key point. We are uh, quite rightly obliged to have a section 19 uh, consultation, which we will uh, do when we have all the evidence so that uh, residents are crystal clear about the issues and the basis on which we've made our decisions. Councillor Redfern, and we have Councillor Chambers to follow. I would like to move on to part two very soon after that. Thank you. I th um, thank you, um, Chairman. I think Councillor Rolfe basically answered what I was going to say. I do feel quite incensed that we're um, being told by Councillor Light that members of the public haven't had a chance to have their say. Because the Planning Policy Working Group, there's an opportunity for everyone to um, speak if they, if they register to do so. And I speak to many people in my own parishes. They, I, I think they feel pretty well informed. And what the problem I have is that I'm a member of the Cabinet, I'm not sitting on the Planning Policy Working Group. I rely on the Planning Policy Working Group to feed information to us as members of this Council. And what I'm feeling is that because the evidence is taking it in a way that some members don't want it to, that we're now being asked to look at other things. I have absolute sympathy for those members in the South and I understand what they, why they want to ask for more evidence. I, I totally get that. But there are some members here who are now implying that ev evidence is, is being altered to suit, to suit um, other members. It couldn't be further from the truth that we, you know, we've kept out of this and it's up to the Planning Policy Working Group to feed the information back to us as Cabinet members and councillors. And I think it's really unfair to say that members of the public haven't had their chance either. Councillor Chambers. Mr Chairman, most of what I wanted to uh, ha has been answered, but what I would like to just say to everybody is can I just re-endorse what Councillor Redfern is saying. Policy planning or planning policy working group has all the time since this council has been here open to any members of the public. It has been well publicised, therefore if any members of the public wish to attend they could attend exactly the same as any member of the council can attend and listen to what's being said. Now what grieved me a little bit was to do with briefings from the officers. When you have a briefing from officers, it's not closed shop. It's trying to get information from members in a way that they can explain themselves quite frankly. Now I think it was mentioned not, I think it was only last week where we said we ought to have more frank discussions. I'm not sure whether it was Councillor Lodge or whoever it was. But we need to be frank about things. There has been, I won't say tons, but there must be thousands of pages of evidence that you can look at if you want to. Whether you'll be any better off when you've actually looked at it, I don't know. But the point being is that you're going to get to the point very shortly now where you have got to make a decision. I've said this many times in the council before. Any fool can join the council and give money out to some charity or whatever it is, but councillors are here to make that, those difficult decisions. And we're getting to the point where if you're not careful, 
we will lose complete control of what happens in Uttlesford. Is that what you want for the future? It's my question to you. Councillor Laughlin. Laughlin, actually. Laughlin, sorry, Laughlin. But you can call me Laughlin. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty annoyed now because um, I was on the last uh, planning policy working group, wasn't called that then, that actually walked out because we felt that there were secret meetings, we felt it wasn't open with the public, and indeed members of the public weren't actually allowed at meetings, and it was dreadful. Now, if I thought that was happening now, I would walk out again. But it isn't. I don't know about any other councillors here, but I send emails to my parish councils to say the planning policy working group is there, and if they would like to come along to those meetings, they will have a chance to speak. And uh, I've always done that, because that's dem democracy, and I would continue to do it. And as I said, if, they, if these, mem if these uh, meetings weren't open to the public, I wouldn't be here. And I, I just feel that Councillor Light is a politician looking for a vote. On that point then, I would like to move on to part two. Uh, and part two of the debate will be for councillors to identify any omissions, deviations, departures from acceptable practices and procedures in the planning process. And they consider having been made uh, in the local plan to make proposals for corrective measures to be considered in the following part of the debate. Can I now invite any member who wishes to speak to indicate by raising their hand in a normal way but to keep any comments on the motion until it has been proposed in part three? Councillor Lodge. Thank you. It, this actually relates to, uh, to the discussion which uh, uh, has just finished, rather rather uh, tetchy discussion as we have heard, but it also leads into the next part. And it comes up with a simple fact that during the PPWG meetings we have spent zero minutes talking about where the new settlement is to go. We have spent zero minutes talking about where the new town should, where, where housing should go in the existing towns and the existing villages. The PPWG then is not doing its work. So leading into the second part is we've got to have that discussion. The PPWG has got to work properly to be able to discuss and come to a, a consensus view as to the, particularly the spatial strategy and any other important parts. The PPWG is failing to give that discussion time and space. Councillor Barker. Chairman, um, there are things that can be discussed in public and there are things that cannot be discussed in public. Um, there are sites that are potentially proposed for development in Uttlesford that have been put forward by communities and there are some very commercially sensitive sites. Um, you have been appraised of these sites in workshops. When the time is right, then these will come to the PPWG. But we cannot um, discuss commercially sensitive stuff in a public meeting. Councillor Asker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, the PPWG, is that a public meeting? Yes. Okay. So if a member of the public asks to see copies of the papers, are they entitled to see them? 
Absolutely. Uh, they're published on the Council's website. It, you know, this sums up the problem, doesn't it? That we're having a conversation, the information is all out there, but people aren't aware of it. Uh, Planning Policy Working Group, which I set up, uh, meets in public. Uh, members of the public are allowed to speak on each agenda item assuming they give correct notice, and we've been pretty tolerant uh, of the time given to that. It was dominated by gypsies in our early meeting, um, and uh, so very much it is, it is a public meeting. I, I wouldn't argue um, with uh, Councillor Lodge. Um, that planning policy working group does need to look at the detail, but uh, I think we, we've now got a degree of... Um, uh, consensus that planning policy working group probably needs to fall into two parts. There probably needs to be an open part and a closed part. And the closed part is not to keep the public out. It is to deal with what Councillor Barker has been talking about. But all of this obviously comes to the public uh, at, the, at the right time. But we mustn't speculate or provide speculators with the ammunition to damage us. Chairman, sorry, can I just ask the back end of the question to that, um, which is, um, if the meeting has been cancelled, the PPWG, um, are there still uh, circulated papers or uncirculated papers that are available? Of the public has been Papers were prepared for the last planning policy working group, but the chief executive has paused the process, so those papers, no, are not available. The meeting has not gone ahead. The papers are not on the website. Um, but at a future PPWG, we would welcome you there. I think uh, the way the meeting's going now, we might just as well go straight on to part three. Um, and I will ask Councillor Lodge, is it Lodge who's going to propose, or Councillor Freeman? Um, yes, I'll, I'll make the proposal. Um, I, I presume I should re read this out as not, not all the members of the public will have uh, seen it. Mr Chair, shall I go ahead and do that first of all? Yes, I should just point out that we, we intend to continue until 10.30 now. I'll read quickly then. Yeah. Um, the purpose is to, is to consider, debate and vote upon the following motion, of which due notice is being given. The Cabinet puts in place immediate corrective measures to instil transparency and public confidence into the emerging local plan. These measures to include reviewing and making public the criteria and the weightings used to select sites for possible new settlements or large housing developments and to decide between different alternative spatial strategies. This review to take particular account of the need for many residents to travel outside of Ottersfoot to their employment and their consequent need to access the M11 motorway and the national uh, rail network. Two, ensuring that all material matters relating to the local plan, including any instruction of any expert or other third party assistance, or the commissioning of any material evidence or other work stream in, in connection with the local plan, or the consideration of any spatial strategy of any material component of it, are referred to the Planning Policy Working Group for consideration. Three, reviewing the projected growth plans for Ottlesford, taking a realistic estimate of the expected growth of Stansford Air Airport, including the potential impact on the UK economy of Brexit and the fact that many residents travel outside the district for work, for example to London and to the expanding high technology industries around Cambridge and using the M11A11 corridor. Do you have a seconder? 
Councillor Freeman, do you want to speak to it? Uh, not at this moment, if you... Councillor Rolfe. Um, Chairman, I, I've got an amendment to uh, that motion. Um, we support the, the spirit of some of it, but believe it can be simplified with a clear message that the Council has confidence in officers to present in a comprehensive and timely manner all necessary information and reports to the Planning Policy Working Group, Cabinet and Council to enable the development of proposals for a new local plan that will be found sound at examination. I won't over-elaborate, uh, Chairman, because I think this is broadly what we've been saying all night. If we don't have confidence in our officers, then we have an immense problem. But a combination of a talented group of officers supported by the consultants that we've engaged, supported by the QC that we've engaged, supported by PAS who will examine our, um, our plan at scrutiny, supported uh, by inspectors that we call in to scrutinise, will give us the confidence to produce a plan. Uh, we have paused the plan so that councillors and residents can have the confidence in the evidence, but I repeat the point, at some point we will have to make a decision. And I encourage all councillors and all parties to support the principle that we have to make a decision. Thank you, Chairman. Councillor Howell. Order, if I may. I need a seconder to the amendment. Thank you. <coughs> point, point of order, Mr Chairman. Councillor Rolfe. No, it's no, not Rolfe. It's been a long That's day. Right. Councillor Lodge. Um, under, under Council Procedure Rules 12.6, Amendment to Motions, uh, under 12.6, Section 4, uh, it says that uh, the uh, motion may be amended as long as the effect of the amendment is not to negate the motion. It is very obvious that this is a total negation of the motion as proposed and therefore should not be allowed. Could I ask the le our legal adviser on this, please? Yes, indeed. Uh, the prohibition on negating motions is uh, to ensure that uh, um, motions are not put where the same effect could be had by voting against. In this case, the same effect could not be achieved by voting against because it's proposing an alternative course of action. And therefore, my advice to the chairman is that this is not negativing the motion. Right. So we have an amendment and a seconder. Councillor Howell, could you like to speak, please? Thank you, Chairman, councillors, members of the public. I would like to speak in support of the amendments. Um, I've welcomed elements of the discussion and the debate tonight. I've particularly welcomed the members of the public who've attended this evening. I've listened with interest to their concerns, as I have as a councillor in this chamber for 10 years, as we've wrestled with this challenge. It is, without doubt, an insurmountable challenge, and as has been said by many of the speakers here, uh, one which will upset a great many people, regardless of where they live. We have an enormous challenge in front of us as a community. It would be good if, as a community, we could come together to try and solve this. I've recognised after nearly 10 years here that that is probably too much of an ask. But we should try and strive for that, because if we fail, 
and we fail as a community, then the responsibility is transferred to government and the government will be less interested in the views of members of the public. They will have no interest in the views of the members of the public. They will have no interest in the views of councillors. They probably wouldn't even care what the decisions are. So we have to try and come to a solution if we possibly can. Ultimately, we all have our own views of how we might solve this problem, but we have to do it by relying on the facts and the evidence. This phrase is used repeatedly in this room, but I don't think people actually realise or think through what that actually means. It's not about using our own personal judgments. Um, we have to rely entirely on the, up, up, upon the facts. And the truth of the reason why we have to do that is that the plan, when it is published, will be tested by the inspector. If it is found unsound, then we will go through the embarrassment of what happened in December 2014. And we cannot do that again. What was interesting, I think I can think of only one benefit from the fact that the inspector halted his inspection in December 2014. It's a bit like going halfway through an exam and having your, your test papers marked. He kind of gave us what the answers were. And most people read this paper from the inspector and then put it away and forgot what it said. He identified two areas where we failed. He said that we were not planning for enough housing. Ms Macdonald, I'm really sorry, but he was quite clear. He said, taken in the round, I considered that an uplift of at least 10% would be a reasonable and proportionate increase in the circumstances of Uttlesford, say to about 850 houses per annum. He told us the uh, 580, I beg your pardon, 580 houses per annum. He told us the answer. None of us like the answer, but he's told us it. And we will come back to an inspector. And if we don't give the right answer to that question, the inspector will turn down the plan. And the second grounds on which he turned down the plan as it previously was concerned Elsenham. And I listened to David Mawson and I listened to Councillor Dean and other members of the council who represented Elsenham, and I don't think I was listening hard enough to their comments, because they made some very good comments about why Elsenham was unsuitable. They talked about the challenges around uh, accessing it, around Hall Road, uh, accessing Stansted Mount Fitchett, uh, and the problems around the railway. And sorry, Janice. You did say it as well, I apologise. <laughs> the, the truth is that he has told us what will work and what won't work. And I think the challenge for us is to try and learn from those lessons and not repeat the same mistakes. Now, I, I read the motion that was put forward by the uh, councillors from the Residents for Russellsford Group, and there are some interesting points that they pose. But ultimately, I think it's to try and change the agenda. It's seeking to come to a solution that suits their conclusion. They are doing the reverse of what we should be doing. They are deciding where it should go and then trying to find the facts that suit. So, for example, they ask us to consider the effects of Stansted and its future growth and any impact that Brexit might have. I first flew out of Stansted in about 1997 when there were about 5 million passenger movements. It was a wonderful airport. It was deserted. I loved it. Last year, 
there were 22.5 million movements. It has grown year on year. In my lifetime, passenger air flights have increased exponentially. We all go on flights, whether we like it or not. There was a fall in 2008... With the the greatest respect, I'm explaining why I support a motion which removes, an amendment to the motion, which removes all the bits that you want us to debate. I'm happy to keep it very simple. I think that you are putting up a canard because you have an agenda that you want to put forward. You will fail on the same basis that I accept that we failed in 2008. If you put forward Great Chesterford as an example, without considering the evidence... It will, it will fail, and it will fail for the same reasons that Elson failed, in my judgment. But I await the decision of officers, the recommendation they bring to us, because I believe that we can only make this, this decision once we have considered the evidence that officers bring to us. So, with the greatest respect, thank you very much. I'm very happy to second the motion. Are there any other speakers to the amendment, please? Councillor Fairhurst. Mr Chairman, I think this brings to a rather nice round point the whole purpose of us being here today. Our motion, to read it very clearly, was the Cabinet put in place immediate corrective measures to instill transparency and public confidence into an emerging local plan. And I think it's a terrible agenda. Imagine instilling transparency and public confidence into a plan. What you, in fact, suggest is that we have confidence. Well, then what have we been here for today? What has everyone been saying today? No one said, brilliant stuff, let's carry on as we're going. This is clearly a lack of confidence. And we're saying, chaps, yes, I agree with you. We should work together. We should all be at one. We should want this plan. It's, after all, all our plan, not your plan, not even this council's plan. It's Uttlesford's plan. And we need to come together to do that. And that means you instill, trans- instill confidence by having transparency and honesty. And there is none at the moment. But if you object to that plan by saying we have confidence, you're assuming that all of this was a show. Councillor Dean. I want to thank the residents for Uttlesford Group for actually calling this meeting because I think it's been useful to both hear from the public what their concerns are and also for us to get over some information about going forward and I'd like at this point to thank Councillor Barker for her statement. I think it could probably be rewritten for the papers with less jargon in it but that's that's neither here nor there. I think there's a danger in the original motion of getting into too much technical nitty gritty detail. I could sit down and I could probably write another 20 bullet points uh, that I'd like to see carried through but I'm going to Uh, I'm not going to do that, Uh, and I will talk about those as we go forward from today, and I'll I'll bring them in. Uh, I think that the the alternative, the amendment, should I say, simply says we've got to move forward forward in effect. All I would like to ask Councillor Rolfe whether he'd be happy to insert after the word council at the beginning, the council supports the present pause in the local plan process, and then has confidence. So we're, we're, say, we're saying where we are now, recognising that this meeting has been called because of the pause. So we, we, we support that 
or you could welcome whichever word you prefer, and then, and then the rest of it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not supporting the motion because I simply disagree with some of the um, intentions that uh, my colleague, our colleagues behind us, me tonight, have. Um, I think, uh, and I don't necessarily think that the same conspiracy that other people think. I just think that, you know, if we're going to have four bullet points, well, can I have another ten, please? And clearly we don't want to mess around with that. Let's just have thank, thank you, Councillor Dean. I believe Councillor Artis is going to so ask just a I accept that addition of supports the pause, Chairman. Councillor Artis has disappeared for a minute. Any other speakers for the motion, for the amendment? Councillor Asker. Uh, thank you, Chairman. I'd, I'd like to come back to what my colleague, um, Councillor Fairhurst, has said, and that, first of all, is very much that this is our plan that we are putting together. We are not being elitist as a group. Um, we were very concerned that the public were not being um, brought in and having an opportunity to speak openly, as they have done this evening. Um, my issue with the amendment that has been put forward is that we have not said as a group that we have uh, no confidence in officers. I believe we've not said that at all in um, our proposal. Um, if you are offering in a timely manner, we might suggest uh, what is your timescale? We need a timescale. We need to be open and transparent with everybody along this. So a, a timely manner is, is not really good enough. You're not giving anything specific as to, to what is right and wrong to what we're proposing in the first place. Thank you. Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, the amendment is a wonderful piece of motherhood and apple pie. Uh, uh, confidence in officers, comprehensive, timely. If you've ever done any neuro-linguistic programming, it uses all the right words here. Um, and I, actually, one doesn't have any problem with this because one can't have any problems with it. It's not the sort of thing you can quarrel with. But the key issue is not the competence or otherwise of officers. That has never been said by any of us that we have any doubt about their competence. And actually, this amendment suggests that we have impugned their competence. That is not true, and I refute that. But what we do refute, what we do, what we do question, um, is the nature of the evidence. The thing about evidence, Chairman, is that if you do a degree in law, you spend an awful lot of time studying the nature of evidence. What is evidence? What is not evidence? And then the weighting that's given to it. How much importance do you attach to a particular piece of evidence? And that's the challenge facing us, is that we can all come out with figures, we can all come out with reports, but it's the nature of the evidence which is the critical thing. And that is why it is important to attain the component that says corrective measures to instill transparency and public confidence. It's the nature of the evidence which is the question. Councillor Artis, please. Thank you. Um, can I first of all say that uh, when I first heard of this, uh, this meeting, I was, I was quite annoyed at having to turn up to a debate which was 
effectively going to be just political ping pong. Um, but uh, first of all, that political ping pong was going to come from RFU, and now I see an amendment, which is political ping pong back. Um, however, having said that, uh, and it's been said by uh, Simon, uh, it was well worth coming just to listen to the public uh, contribution. I thought that was absolutely tremendous, and thank you for that. Um, I will be voting for this amendment, not because it's a good amendment, um, but I do have confidence in the officers. However, I would equally have been happy to have voted for the original motion if it wasn't so, or if the first sentence wasn't so politically motivated. If it had simply said to instill public confidence in the emerging local plan, the Cabinet will review and make public the following. Uh, items that are listed in the, in the motion. I would have been quite happy to vote for that. So I'm stuck between two things. I would have been quite happy to have voted for the first motion if it was less sensitively worded, but I'll end up voting for this. Just but I'll put my position on record. Councillor Ranger. Thank you, Chairman. Under Rule 11 of our Council procedures, 11.11, .11, I would ask that the question be now put. Right, the situation is now that the council, that the amendment has been put. Can I have a vote, please, in favour or against the amendment? Those in favour? Of the amendment being put. The council supports the pause and has confidence, and then as it reads on the page. That is the amendment. So could I have, uh, could I have those in favour? Those against? One against. The amendment is carried. Any further debate before we go on to the substantive? Any more debate on, the, on, on, on it? Councillor Lodge, would you like to reply to the vote? Not quite sure what I'm what I'm replying to. <laughs> so the substantive motion is now that which was the amendment, and if there is nobody else who wishes to speak on what is now the substantive motion, then Councillor Lodge, as the proposer of the original motion, you have a right of final reply. But are there other people indicating to speak on the substantive? So in which case you are invited to have a right of reply, but you don't have to. Obviously. Sorry, could you repeat that? Was... So the, the motion that's now on the table is the amended motion, and as the proposer of the original motion, you are entitled to the final right of reply, should you wish to choose to take it. We just voted on the amended motion. So that means it's now the substantive motion on the table. So the amendment has been carried, so the substantive motion is now as stands, uh, subject to support the pause, and the council has confidence in officers, etc. That is the substantive motion. If there are no further 
people wishing to speak on it, you are invited as the proposer of the original motion. It is your right to have the final right of response. Yeah, I think the, the, the only point I would say is that I, is that I, find, I, I obviously accept the legal officer's opinion, but, but um, this is a total negation of the motion that, that we, we propose. If I could just, just go back and read it. We want to put in place immediate corrective measures to instill and I'm taking words out, confidence. So we're wanting to instill confidence. We then come with a motion which says we have confidence. It's a complete negation. And whilst I think the, the, the parts one and parts two of this have been very useful, and I, and I think most of us agree that to get the public involved, to hear those views has been tremendous, but this last motion has been a complete fart. All those in favour of the motion, please show. Those against? And those abstaining? Then the motion is carried. Thank you. That concludes the business this evening and thank you very much for attending.